0: As grim, as gruesome, as haunting as Facebook might be, it still has this weird capacity to present serendipity every so often in ways that you don't anticipate. My favorite one is on my birthday. When I receive just wonderful messages of heralding in a new year from people that I wouldn't imagine hearing from. And this kind of strange sociality, this odd closeness that can come from it, um, you know, really is something that is central central in life for me. However, part of Facebook's function um, also has these, you know, weird sorts of... uh, things that it does, such as the sharing your memories feature. And when I think about the serendipity that that thing has, I'm always uh, kind of astonished when the timing of a message I need to hear comes through these weird sort of, you know, fatic digital worlds of the algorithm. Sometimes I end up getting messages that remind me of, you know, stale love affairs that I wish I could forget. Sometimes they remind me of things I've said 11 years ago that I have no memory of posting or no memory of what I was trying to say with it. But more often than not, you know, sometimes I get these little frisions of uh, memory lane, a little halcyon tang, you know. And um, one such account of that occurred this week. I got on Facebook to waste my life, my life force, my brain force, my time. And when I opened up the app, I was confronted with a year-ago memory, and it was the one-year anniversary of when I had posted some images of when I was staying in Brittany on my preliminary field work trip last summer to France. My preliminary field work was in a more structured, <laughs> a term that is more structured would be nebulous for this, because it essentially consisted of me renting a car and driving all over France for two and a half months trying to find some fucking thing that I could study. I'd been, as I've mentioned before, trying to get to France for so many years and now being supported by the institution. And being patinaed by exhaustion, I found myself trying to plan, um, you know, intellectual (laughs) projects from here. And the reason in which I was interested in working in France is because I don't know about it yet. I don't know about it. So I'm not part of a line of uh, an inheritance of anthropology where there are sites already in place for me. Rather, I am sort of forging um, my own kind of relationship with this with this site, and so when I started this trip last year, I thought I would start from the north since I flew into Paris and go into some areas that I have no experience with before. Um, I was primarily looking for these conceptions of traditionality and how that gets utilized in um, tourist markets how that gets laminated into national rhetoric how museums are functioning with ethnology you know um, collections and the like and this is predicated on a real interest in this stuff as much as it is a uh, you know a hearty critique of it in many ways and so I started in the north, And for two and a half months, I went from site to site, sort of looking for something that I might serve, something I might be able to help, um, as charged a word as that is, something I might be able to engage in a meaningful way for myself and parties involved. And ultimately, I ended up in the south of France with a project that I'm now working on that will uh, have me located there. And so the moments, the experiences that I had in Brittany, um, for all intents and purposes of sort of the intellectual object that is coming out of this, that's arising out of this, um, is left to the wayside. It's no longer paramount to my research. And when I got that reminder from Facebook, I just recalled in such a flash... Although this might not be something that I specifically utilize in field work, this was an experience of my life with encounters with human beings in extraordinary spaces that has power and merit within itself. And so when I think about the ultimate product of a graduate student's work in some way, the dissertation, I want to be tender for all of the movements, all of the encounters that foundation what we ultimately come up with. And often with the dissertation, it's behind the paywall. It's behind the academic, you know, language. It's illegible. uh, No one wants to read it. (laughs) It is an index to a process. And so what I would like to invite with this podcast is simply some of these raw, subjective collectings that I've had along the way. And often these are the things that light me up about other anthropologists' works when they share some of their very imperfect experience. So in this sort of short series, um, I am just going to put together some little poems, some um, snippets from the field, some short musings um, that are tied to locality, that are tied to these specific places that I deeply love and am affected by um, as a person, not as an anthropologist, um, if I can (laughs) separate the two. So I invite you to some of my experience in Brittany one year ago today. Thanks, Facebook. Just finished writing some notes, and the tendons in my hands are getting sore. They do that when I knit and hand stitch now, too. I must be getting old. Looking out into the yard here in Brittany, and there is some sort of tall, elegant shrub that's looking back at me. I think it may be an elderberry. It's covered in saucer-like inflorescences, which are all aiming their faces at the sky. Who can blame them? They look like little cups of milk, and I want to see some kitten flies flitting onto their rims for a sip. It's 10.30 p.m. and just starting to get dark. Birds are still spitting insults or diminutives to one another in the murky trees. Going to bed before it's dark feels like when you're a child and have a fever, something that forces you into that daytime depravity. I'm surprised at how many thoughts I have about childhood while I'm away on this trip. I can see why Grandma defaults there in her dementia. For some... There is something visceral, something deeply seated about those memories that bubble up as a compass in times of groundlessness. June 13th I've been avoiding writing all day for no apparent reason. I wonder where the horizon between laziness and some type of trauma or paralysis is with procrastinating as such. When I consider the regrets in my life, the only one that pierces me with an irrevocable melancholy that's truly my own is that I haven't written enough. Thinking I'll get to it again later, feeling as if the intensity of the moment will somehow persist, it doesn't. It just doesn't. So now... I'm sitting in my in Brittany, amid a feverishly knitted new scarf, listening to podcasts in English, and watching the sun turn to honey, dripping against the chests of trees in that fiercely, almost violently green forest just outside. It's 9.43, and I'm going to promise myself to write at least a little each day. I don't want to carry the sadness of missing, for no reason. May writing become a balm in this, in the true sense of the word, awesome time, in my life. May it render me speechless and babbling simultaneously. Yesterday was kaleidoscopic in scale, with a number of vivid flashes of thought through the day, even with my unreasonably tired brain. Today, I chose to stay in, to nestle in a bit, and write about what I experienced. Instead... I drove around the countryside, pirated some Wi-Fi, and got bored, bought beautiful gem-like packets of mixed organic cooking grains from Carrefour, and stopped at the 11th century church of St. Fiera? Fieca? Ficus? I have it on my phone somewhere. Brawless, I stopped at the basilica on a whim while while returning from the store. I had wanted to get some gas and see if I was still having problems with the card fraud when I purchased the gas. When I entered the church, I was surprised to see that it's essentially hollowed out and consists of an old assemblage of objects, once associated, like a gallery. As I stood outside before entering, I took a fair amount of time just taking in the like encrusted facade, shooting pictures trying to do a boomerang of the sighing blinding blue sky there were little faces on one of the embellishments above the door that looked like smiling eggs eroded over centuries i suddenly had a flash walking into this house of worship for hundreds of years parishioners through centuries it was also so it was all so suddenly clear how different God was to each of these generations, and how the culture of their church community was entirely unique, not only in how they envisioned God, but what that meant amongst them, the posture of their bodies, how they illustrated their supplication, how their collection of souls produced a milieu of knowledge that was entirely their own, marked of their time. Generation after generation And how foreign one group would be to another over 30 years, over 100 years, over 300 years. I got this welling, this sense of something underneath it all. That this place with different gods, with different people, all harnesses that something, that indescribable, that life, that spirit that can never be contained or truly illustrated, just gestured to propitiated and hopefully deeply felt in the ineffable gusts of our own spirits. Even if these spaces of worship are mirrors they reflect something of the experience of the divine. I feel it in the chambers of my heart. When I entered there was a woman sitting at a flimsy little card table to my left, a docent to the church. It's interesting to think of what has contributed to this sort of conversion from the church to of the sacred to a sightseeing space. Although there were some dry pews present, I assume that services are no longer held here. However, the pulpit was tended to with fake wisterias and a bowl of polyester daisies. Artificial flowers to combat the moisture or the neglect? Has the population dwindled such in the area that sustaining a church of this sort isn't feasible? Is that what foundations the decay of the building, or was that the impossible task that ended up turning people away? Who was responsible for continuing to care about this space and imagine it as a site of interest within itself? When did it begin to change feeling of an active sacred space to a museum? Or did it? I found myself walking with reverence in the space, even with its topsy-turvy surrealist assemblage of sacred objects. But that may have been as much a response to the museum feel or the presence of quote-unquote age. I tend to respond similarly to all three. Intentionally, quietly, with eyes open. The ground was mossy. It had a feeling of not being fully inside, although it was self determinedly so. It's a building, after all. But it's not of ruin. It still supports its roof. Yet the ground was coated with this luscious slime of green age. Everything was damp. Eras of effigies commingled in odd ways, striking curious poses, as St. Prince would say. Some headless and standing in corners alone. St. Ursula was there, and St. Antoine, Little grotesque faces were carved into beams. A grand, finely tooled, what, threshold? Wall? Altar? Basically, a wooden wall that was inlaid with windows and excruciatingly detailed beings was set between a pillar and the south wall, a prized relic of religious splendor. The spindly quality and oddity of animals present made me think it was probably from the 14th or 15th centuries, but I have no idea. The side of the wall facing the pulpit had a cat, a monkey, two pelicans, and an upside-down blonde imp hanging from it. At one point, the gaggle of older sightseers who were visiting finished their tour and went outside. The silence swelled in the space the damp silence the awareness of when this had been full of people wearing the skin of their time the cloth of their moment disciplining their bodies and listening to a certain language and accent as part of their daily life I could sense when this wasn't something ancient but when it was indeed something new the way the saints were understood how the stained glass windows were gazed out of and to what effect, since these were gruesome depictions of the crucifixion, which I haven't seen much of here. I didn't feel like the room was full of spirits, but just this thick energy of the past. I felt something very clever there, something that experience imbues into walls. It quickens me. (laughs) at Le Musée de Brigadune, sometime in June 2019. The colors of the Brigadune costume cannot be described. Like the wildflowers in the Camino de Compostela, I had my heart cracked open by the purples. The color I didn't expect would be there these heightened lilac checks in the skirts, these oatmeal silk ribbons that look like moonstones, these fresh ground carmine oranges in the cap, the embroidery of both hand and machine into the ribbons and along the breast. My God. They are so sophisticated, like the highest of editorial fashion combining in 1830. The buttons have eight-pointed stars etched into them. The baubles, with little caged faux pearls on pins, have die-cut moons dangling to catch the light. The details. The fucking details. The exhibition was so arousing in the juxtaposition of staged costume and the sort of haberdashery approach of creating a museum space that looks like a shop. The antique glass top jars full of tarnished sequins, some shaped like eyes, some minuscule rhinestones prong-set into cheap metal. A stack of calico with plenty of white, some thick woven cotton-striped stuff as well. Handkerchiefs with printed flowers, some with a tangy apricot ink, others those mauves of another era. They had audio playing on loop that had seed birds peeping and wooden wheels grinding into an unseen earth, just sensorily heady. A video also played on loop in the same room, showing pages from a mercantile sample book, full of chips and swatches of textile goods. A whole page of indigo blues and lipstick purples, the kind of purple that somehow glows with this virile freshness even though yellow is absent in it. It's a gorgeous celebratory color. I'm somewhere near Karnak, by the water. I'm listening to Robert Palmer and I'm feeling my fucking oats eating a nectarine, dripping it onto my inland jeans. It's been way too cold to wear anything else. I'm beginning to resemble one of the quote-unquote pure male maritime savages in the Le Feuet Museum. Brown, thick twill pants and boots encrusted with soil from my 13 steps outside of the house today. <laughs> I think I'm probably looking more like a mollusk, actually. Again, the colors in this town, sweet Jesus. I don't even know if I'll attempt description. The tide was quite out, leaving flat rocks coated with sea grasses that looked like slumbering beasts. I picked my way out between them and dipped my palms into the lapping tongues of the tide. It was cool, but not as bracing as I would imagine the rugged place demands. There was a certain sweetness to this part of the coast in the early summer. The white buildings weren't stained with winter, each side of the bay glistening in their own shade of milky-green seduction. I recall a tiny marigold-colored shell. Birds arching towards the sun in flight, then thrusting themselves like blades into the bay for fish, the evolution of surprise in their cells. There's a church there. It had fish in the stained-glass windows, three, like a triskelion, and a wooden ship model affixed to the wall. One window depicted St. Bernadette, while the other a parable with a male saint, something to do with water and boats, which makes sense. Multiple eras of style in this small church, too. There's completely funky 1950s glass with other turn-of-the-century works. Many of the tombstones in the the cemetery behind have headstones with anchors etched into the crosses, and sometimes roses. I wonder if they all contained a body, or if some were indexing a soul lost at sea. Some were looking directly out to the ocean itself. I have a memory of many years ago, after I had moved back in with my family as a giant child in my 20s, and... I was in my parents' room in Ojai, California watching No Reservations on a laptop. I was snuggled in bed searching for what the hell I was supposed to be doing. And it just so happened that his episode, Anthony Bourdain's episode on Brittany came on. The beginning of that episode discusses the color blue. He chose the color. He chose this vignette. He chose this idea of that color to be representative of that entire space. And for whatever aligned in that moment, that episode became the most profound, soul-vibrating, illuminating thing I'd ever seen. Watching that episode I realized that's what I want to do. That is exactly what I want to do. I've been trying to get back to France since I was 17 and I haven't been able to figure out the auspices in which I'll do that. And at that point I wasn't studying anthropology yet. And I thought I simply want to go write about the colors of places. <laughs> I want to go write about what's happening there. Years later, while doing my field work, I'm in Brittany. I somehow ended up here. And Bourdain was right about Brittany Blue. I find it indescribably auspicious to be in Brittany on the anniversary of his suicide. But it glosses as blue, even when it's something deeper just as Bourdain sort of glosses as this pop, cultural, idol, mentor, etc. But there's something else there. There's something deeper. We didn't know him. I didn't know him. I doubt I would have liked him. But the principal actions that he was comprised of What he did for the popular imagination as a way to digest the other (laughs) as something within. That's the thing. I can't say he had a tick I liked. I can't even say his approach to Brittany was something I agreed with. Yet that damn episode entirely and utterly changed my life. And now here I am, seeing this Brittany blue. I'm on the terrace at Karnak Beach. There's an older man with a bucket hat that's bobbing along the boardwalk, and I can only see the top of his head. He reminds me so much of my grandpa. A blessing Grandpa Doppelganger. I just ordered some type of white wine with some kind of sardine thing. I'm craving fish. I wonder what I'll get. It just came. A paste. Oh well. It'll be delicious nonetheless. I'm ordering a whole fucking fish in Lords when I go back. It haunts me from years ago when I had one there. I'm feeling a lack of zest today on and off a product of many things, I am sure. Overstimulation from such enormous days and depths of these events, the bittersweetness of having this dream come true, it puts other unfulfilled ones into contrast. The space to finally feel the last year and its excruciating detail and heart-tearingness is definitely coming to the fore. Living in this pente without Wi-Fi... Really raises this romanticism and the isolation, playing ping-pong with my sense of yearning. I want to share these incredible experiences, but I can't think of sustaining any relationships I know on <laughs> set experiences. I know that if others were here that I knew, I would feel more dull in regard to receiving information from the places I'm visiting. Yet, I do get clouded by loneliness with what I'm here, regardless. There's a profound heartache, chest ache, spine ache about the impossibility of either situation. Of all these truly cartoonish, absurd meanderings in my mind, I have them while driving, walking on the beach, smoking accidental menthol Winstons. I'm both slapping back and trying to embrace the melancholy drippings that I fall into. Actually, spring back into? It's a habit of sullen shoulders. now glutted on sardine mash and fermented grape, watching the Carnac coast with a British pilfered cigarette. I'm in dizzying pleasure. I think I default to this searching loneliness as a habit. Maybe a distraction? I think of if I could speak to people here, have a dinner with a fresh stranger, that would make it a bit more concrete. But to imagine that I'm only complete when I have another person centered within me, I can't follow that fantasy anymore. European cigarettes burn so fast. When I went to go pilfer the cigarette, this flame kept trying to... um, The wind kept pushing my flame out of the way, kept putting my flame out of the way. And uh, the man that I pilfered it from said, It's God's way of telling you to keep quitting. I prefaced it telling him I quit. You know, I wonder, does culture thread us with desires for love? I've eaten so much bread. The colors of fermented beverages are stunning. Amber beer, rose wine. My handwriting has become terrible. Is this part of becoming a doctor? What about coasts makes you want to smoke? Will France be my field site?